Hey guys, Reed Goosens here. Now before we dive into today's show, I quickly want to tell you about some exciting things happening in 2018. Now in a few months time, I will be launching my brand spanking new book appropriately titled Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And it is all the best bits from this show transformed into a book. Now, as you are all loyal listeners on this show, we are doing a pre-launch book giveaway. So what you have to do in order to participate in this pre-launch book giveaway is just shoot me an email. It's pretty simple. At info, that's I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. And in the subject line, you can put the words Kraken book. And in return, I will shoot you back a link where you can go and pre-order your copy of my new book. Now, remember, in that link, there will be an area where you can put the code Kraken, C-R-A-C-K-I-N, and that will enable you to get a discount. I want to thank you all for tuning in. The reason why I do this show is because of my loyal listeners, and this is a way of me giving back to you guys by helping you. You can pre-order the book and get it for free before we launch in a couple of months' time. All right, now back into the show. Wholesaling is a great way to learn the market, figure out how to do comps, make money at the same time, get good at negotiating, figure out how to do titles. So it's really, it's a great entryway into the business. Welcome to Investing in the US, an Aussie's guide to US real estate. A podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today in the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dan Breslin. Dan is the founder and president of Diamond Equity Investments, a real estate investment company flipping properties in Philadelphia, Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, and Tampa. Dan has been a full-time real estate investor since 2006, and he averages 25 deals a month. Dan has a very interesting story, and I'll let him explain it, but he went from sitting in a jail cell to realizing that he was going to get out of his troubles when he came across the book that we know very well on this show, Rich 
Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Now Dan has not only made a name for himself in the real estate space, but he's on a mission to help others by bringing actionable ideas to his audiences and fans. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show to share his incredible story and experience, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Dan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Reed. Really appreciate it. Mate, my pleasure. Um, I know I, I read your one word, your one page bio before we jumped online today. It's really, really interesting, but we will get into that in a minute. But I always ask my guests as a, as a warm-up question, how did you make your first ever dollar as a kid? And you know, on the on the journey to becoming an entrepreneur. Not not in real estate, yeah. not in real estate. I'm talking about like how, what did you do for pocket change? Well, I guess I had a, uh, a a paper route, and I guess it was probably the first kind of entrepreneur. We did, uh, you know, cutting lawns. So we'd be knocking on, you know, doors, shoveling snow, that kind of stuff. Right. But the paper route, my dad, uh, he bought a couple of rental properties, fixed them up. He ended up losing them. It didn't work out well for him. But I remember when he first got them, renovated them, rented them out, and he was making like $325 a month. And the payment for the mortgage was like 150 or so. And I'm like, wow, he's making like double, triple what I'm making in this paper route. And he doesn't have to go out every day and deliver the papers. So that's- uh, <laughs> not, not, in the cold, not in the cold snow, right? Because you're, you're calling in from Chicago, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Philadelphia. We cold and more snow in Philadelphia, believe it or not, than we have here in Chicago on a yearly basis. Awesome. Well, I'm going to get into Philly because I've also <laughs> flipped a few houses in Philly. But let's now talk about your story because you know half the reason people live, listen to this show is because of the story. And you sound like you have an incredible journey. So do you want to walk us through from that paper out all the way through to your, your journey that you are sitting in front of me today? Well, I mean, I've held jobs and things of that nature. When I got into my teenage years, I started partying and then I partied a little too much and was susceptible to that, uh, you know, the bad habits of youth, if you will. <laughs> uh, I ended up waking up. I would drink to the point of blacking out. I no longer drink today. Nothing, nothing at all. Um, so no partying, very disciplined, healthy, you know, exercise on a regular basis, eat right lifestyle today. But that was from the hard lessons learned. So I woke up from a blackout in a jail cell to discover that I was found in someone else's car that I did not know or have permission to drive that I had uh, crashed in front of a police officer. So that's kind of that's how I ended up uh, doing about a year in jail, got a work release program, stuff like that. But it was, it was funny. I was handed the rich dad, poor dad book in uh you know, a large 87 bunk room where everybody's staying. And I had the time and no distractions to read it there. But unfortunately, my dad, who was, uh, like I said, somewhat of an amateur in the real estate business, but he tried it. And that's where the idea originally came from as, a, as I was a kid. But uh, he bought me that book when I was like 17, 18. And, you know, I was like a hard headed teenager, like my dad didn't know anything and I didn't read it. And I, I just remember like looking back even now, like, wow, I wish maybe things would have been different had I just like read the book when I was 18 instead of waiting until I was 25, 26 and, you know, really up against the wall, um, you know, in jail. So I came home from, you know, a newly minted convicted felon difficult, if not impossible, to get any kind of a decent job. Uh, the inability to get a job became a blessing, Reed, because I, like, I didn't have the option to go make sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year doing you know, car sales like I had done before I got in trouble. Um, you know, it's really tough to get a decent wage when you have the, uh, the felonies on your record. And so like that became kind of the fire in my belly to uh, move forward, push forward, and make it happen in real estate. So we went to the Get Rich in Real Estate seminars, and you know, one thing led to another, and did the first deal, made six thousand dollars on that. It 
it was now proved that this was something that could work and uh, just kind of kept it moving from there. That is absolutely incredible. Like spending 12 months in jail to figuring out that the system doesn't want you essentially because you have that record, right? And you can't go and work for someone else. And you said, screw it, I'm going to take you know control into my hands and become your own boss. I think that's, for anyone who's listening to that, like if you're sitting on the fence right now, Dan has literally been to the bottom of the barrel, can't get employed and he's went go out and changed his life for the better. So like, that is absolutely incredible story. And, and I'm sure like, as you said, in hindsight, 2020 is like, Oh, I wish I'd read the book back when I was 17, but I, but I guess it would have, the fact that you did go to jail and you did go down that journey, you did hit rock bottom has now made you the man you are today. And I think that's, you know, every, there's every silver lining to every cloud, right? So, you know, kudos to you, mate, for, 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 for dusting your knees off, so to speak, and, and getting back on the horse because a lot of people would have gone the other way and gone back and, 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 and you know, relapsed or whatever like that. So that, that in itself, uh, and maybe I was really, I actually, because I, I'm kind of interested did it take a lot of willpower to not stuff up again? You know, like when you got out, you sort of, you, 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 were you pissed at the world or, you know, any, any of that sort of, <laughs> any of that sort of emotions because that ultimately you, you would, you'd feel that way. If you're getting rejected from jobs, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a record and all this sort of stuff, you'd feel pretty shitty, right? And so how, how mentally did you get over that? Because that, that step in itself is sort of, you know, just a big leap of faith and big, you know, I've got to get up and do this. I really think I took, you know, compared to a lot of people who are in that situation, you know, you'd hear the stories of, oh, it wasn't me and oh, I'm not guilty. Oh, the cops, oh, this, oh, that. And I feel like I, looking back, I really took responsibility for my actions and, you know, bad behaviors at that point there. So it was, it was very freeing to be out and it just felt like the entire world was in front of me at that point. Um, I wish I stayed 100% disciplined, but uh, 08, 09, I kind of, you know, gravitated back. I think, honestly, Reed, I went from making no money to, you know, six figures and, and more um, very quickly. And the money went to my head and, you know, all of a sudden the bad habits crept back. But uh, 2011, 2012, put it all down for good, turned my life back to God, started reading the Bible. Um really regrouped my life spiritually, mentally, and physically. And then from that point on, it's been, you know, an ever brightening day to 2018 when we're recording this today. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's a real awesome lesson in terms of when people are starting out on this journey and we talk a lot about on the show, you know, meditation and being disciplined and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you're an example and, you know, I'm, we're not, we're all not perfect, right? We are going to have bumps along the way on this entrepreneurial journey. It's not just flicking on a light and all of a sudden, yeah, we're, we're successful and all this sort of stuff. And I guess the, what I'm hearing from you is that it's, it, it's, it's okay to stumble a little bit, but if you, as long as you know that you're moving forward towards your goals and, and you're looking back at where you've come from, that is really, you know, the, the, the impotence to, to get it up and get it going and, and make sure that you grab, you know, grab the world by the balls, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, mate. Well, look, great story. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of today's show, which is, you know, all around about, you know, you are across six different markets. And I want to start with a little bit about your business and how you've grown that, given given the story, into doing 25 deals a month. Because that's sheer scale. Um, that probably didn't just happen overnight. And, and across five different markets, t- setting up your teams, setting up your systems, Talk to a little bit about that journey because that, that in itself is hard. Right? You've come out of the jail, you, you, you're going into real estate, then creating those systems to then scale across five different markets. That's, that's pretty incredible in itself. 
Yeah, since I've done the one sheet, we have months where we do 40, 50 deals in a month. Wow. And if you see behind me on the board, we have four whiteboards here. <laughs> uh, one has two cities, the other each has its own city. Um, but we have somewhere around 80 to 90 deals, contracts, rehabs cooking right now. Um, you know, it will increase by the end of the summer and then it will slow down coming through the holidays as right. we follow the natural cycle of real estate transactions. Um, but it, it was not my intention to expand to multiple markets, Reed. When I went to prison, my daughter's mom, she was like five at the time, four. She moved to Chicago with her family. So when I came home from jail, it was essentially, you know, dad meeting in the airports and whenever I could even afford a plane ticket or, you know, to get family members to drive me out to Chicago, get a hotel with very, very limited funds, resources and no ability to get a job. So it was always a dream of mine to, you know, move from Philadelphia to Chicago so that I could be like a legitimate dad that had her on, you know, weekends, et cetera. Um, and in 2014, right at the end, 2015, I finally had met the right people. And that's really going to be the most important thing. I think at least in my business and my experience has been, uh, in my belief, God placed people into my life at precisely the right moment. People that I could trust with, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, of money, you know, back and forth in, in the midst of all these deals. I mean, we're, we're not, you know, selling cheeseburgers here in the real estate business, um, so it's been, it's been a lot of trust in the right people, but, uh, I was able to move, pick up and then move to Chicago in, in early 2015 and I got here and I, I live on Lake Michigan. I'm like, I can hear the waves out the window. It's kind of like an ocean. You can't really see the other side out here. Uh, it was frozen. It looked like, um, you know, the abominable snowman and there's like frozen chunks of ice out there and everything. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm here in Chicago. I'm obviously going to do business here in Chicago in case the Philadelphia thing falls apart. But I got to do Florida, too, so I have a reason to hop on a plane and, you know, get the hell out of Dodge with this ice-cold weather. So it was more of a, you know, I did the right thing for my family and what I felt like was, like, God's will for my life to go out and, like, you know, be present for my daughter uh, in her, you know, teenage years. Um, and then the growth happened as a result of making that decision, and then I started figuring out new markets and how to build contacts and meet more of the right people to help build the business. Um, she got her license yesterday, so I'm a little nervous about that now, but she's 16, and it's been like a hell of a two or three years since I did move out here. It's been the best time of my life here. That's awesome. That's incredible. And, yeah. and so I love how you've gone out there for family. You made the actionable decision to move you know, and, and, and create a better life. You know, As Tony Robbins says, change your story, change your life, right? And, and you've done exactly oh, yeah. that. Uh, so did you start in the, in the Chicago market or did you start in the Philly market with, with your business? Started in Philly back in 2006, and it was up and down, you know, all the way until 2011. 2012 was when I started to develop, you know, true marketing systems and start to formulate some plan for what I was doing. And it was probably, excuse me, 2014 uh, toward the end there is when it really started to turn into a business where I could, you know, reliably invest my capital, my returns from the deals I was doing into, you know, more marketing and, and figuring out a system that was repeatable that I then scaled to the other markets. Nice. I, uh, I've done, I did a couple of deals when I was living on the East Coast in Point Breeze. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it was uh, good. I, I love the Philly market, to, to be honest. I think it's a great 
it's a good barriers to entry. It's not New York. It's got the New York Washington feel. It's the East Coast. You can live in a city. It's a growing city, but you're not paying you know three quarters of a million dollars for for a brownstone, right? You know, Fishtown mm-hmm. is blowing up. It has been blowing up for years. And I remember I, I didn't do as well on the couple of flips, but it was more just to do with management and scale. But it was uh, it's, a, it's it's an awesome little city, and uh, I try to get back there as much as possible. Don't do any more marketing there because I'm now multifamily, but. It's uh, it's an awesome city. So um, yeah, where, where, where were you? But uh, mainly uh, located or, or hunting, I guess, all over in Philly. Yeah. So I, like part of my business and how we're able to do so many deals, Reed, is that I cast a wide net. So a lot of real estate investors are going to get in the business if they're flipping properties, if they're holding rentals. I suggest to be narrow and with deadly precision and focus as to where you're going to invest. Know the neighborhood inside and out. Know the contractors there. Know the streets. Know the names of the police officers if it's that small of a focused area um, that you're able to target. So that's not the way that we went. And uh, we do a lot of wholesale business where we buy it as is. You know, we make ten, fifteen thousand dollars sell to the next person. They make forty, fifty thousand dollars on the flip. So we're constantly looking for that hoarder house and we want them to come every month. So I'll do like all five counties in Philadelphia area, Philadelphia, Montgomery, Bucks, Chester and Delaware counties. Uh, Same thing in Chicago. There's I think a five or six, you know, collar County, including the city of Chicago, Cook County. Um, And the same thing in Atlanta, we do eight counties or something there. And in Miami, um, Dade is its own County. So we cast a much wider net and because we have, you know, acquisition managers slash partners running all over the place uh we're and we're not always doing the construction of projects allows us like a larger geographic area to continue to keep our pipeline full as opposed to you can you can go out and make you know a hundred thousand dollars a year flipping a handful four five six seven properties you know a couple of them are going to go wrong some go right maybe make more um, and you can do that in a relatively focused, targeted area, um, you know, so depending on kind of like what your your goal is. I don't know if I got off track there. No, 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 that's, that's, that's great. No, because that is exactly, you You brought up some really good points. And um, so just to just to recap, you, you're predominantly a, like a wholesale business. So you buy it, you clean it up, and then you put it back on the market for someone else to flip it, right? That, that, that's, that's the well, space you're in. Yeah, some of them, you know, some of them are just assignment deals. You know, if, if our price was a little too high, there's not even room to justify the closing costs. You know, there's deals we put together and made a thousand, two thousand dollars on them just to satisfy the client who came to Diamond Equity Investments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we made the deal. Sometimes there's debt on the property and we're like clearing up old mortgages and stuff. We've had people where we didn't even make money and we end up selling it for exactly the amount of money that we have on the table, but we were trying to satisfy the need of the client that contacted our company. Right. Um, others, we're going to buy, you know, do a clean out, close on the property, resell it. Others, we're going to, you know, paint and carpet and sell. We're in a hot market in 2018, so we can sell properties in better school districts, a little pricier areas. We can do less rehab, don't even have to change the kitchens in some instances. And people will like buy them and they're watching HDTV and they're <laughs> gonna make it their home. And we just sell it to a retail buyer and make you know a percentage of our full potential profit. Or sometimes there was not even enough profit to do an entire rehab in some of those deals, but we're able to put that deal together, make some money on the deal. Again, satisfy the client and then continue to, um, manifest our company mission which is to promote home ownership with our investment activities in the united states that's awesome that's awesome so are you also a company that helps 
you know, solve problems, i.e., you know, you get from the courthouse steps or it's, you know, being reclaimed by the bank and you're, 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 you're a fixer, essentially, to not, not literally fixing the house, but also fixing the situation for either the seller and the end buyer. We do our best to, to provide those kind of solutions. None of my marketing material says, you know, oh, we're going to solve your problems or anything like that. But uh, we do have people who come through who owe too much money on a property and we do short sales in certain markets. Right. In certain markets, I have nobody who's able to get them done and there's not much we can do. Um, we've gone down and paid off, you know, tax debt when people are going to lose the property on Friday. They call us on a Tuesday and they're like, hey, we're losing. And we're like running down to the courthouse with, $25,000 certified check, taking a risk because we can't even pull title um, to stop the tax sale and make sure they get something out of the property. We hire moving trucks to move. Uh, some of my partners are like running down just this week here in Chicago and like moving fish tanks for this person, you know, getting it. So we really do our best to try to, you know, add additional value and services. We don't advertise that to the sellers, but when a seller has a problem, a lot of these people read have have procrastinated this is how they've gotten to this situation where it's a hoarder house and the pet messes are everywhere <laughs> and everything so you know we don't like judge those people or turn our nose up at it but we, we do dig in and really try to help them uh move on to the next chapter of their life right right now that's awesome i think if you're doing a win-win scenario for both the, the sellers and the buyers i think you're, you're having a foot in either camp it, it, it makes you um, credible, I guess, first and foremost, in a business that's not, you know, looked at like, oh, they just want to take us for our money, right? They want to take us for a ride or whatever it is. So, exactly. So talk to me a little bit about how the investor, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a retail investor. I want to place my money. Can, we, can, can, can you do that with Diamond Equities? Is that how, you know, are you raising capital in order to go out and buy multiple uh, little houses in these markets? Uh, or are you just purely doing it with all in-house equity yourself? We, we do have equity ourselves to close on every deal that we put under contract, but we also do maintain a network of uh, private lenders. We don't do capital raises in the sense of here, we're going to put a, a million dollars raise and then we're going to work with that, lock your money up for three years. But ours is unique because we have the opportunity for investor who has 50, 75, $100,000, uh, or even we have investor I got off the phone with yesterday, he has 500000 to a million, but he wants to just put a hundred thousand in play on a deal and see what happens first. So we do offer our list on, especially like the wholesale deals where we're going to buy it and then resell it. We might have that money in play for only 30 or 45 days. Right. We generally pay 10% flat interest to those investors, but we give them a 90 day minimum. So they're not running around originating wires and signing off on documentation for, you know, some of them have been two weeks, 10 days, even a week that we've had their money, but they've gotten paid on three months at 10%. So when they do the math, it's like an effective, you know, 25% for the year or 50% for the year type of return. Right. Um, you know, some of the investors like that, a lot of my investors don't care. They're happy to have the money working in a rehab. Maybe it's a six to nine month window. That money would have been sitting in an account otherwise. And now here it is earning a simple 10% interest, you know, calculated on the year while we do the renovation, the construction, et cetera. So we do bounce those out to our list and we do them like one off where it's like one investor, 
close a mortgage in a note and there's there's no other you know collusion of funds if a rehab runs over budget or anything of that nature we decide to do more work more construction like we just put the money out of our own pockets for that kind of um overages never more than one investor on a deal right no, that, that's that's great because if if you all of the listeners following along at home it's like you've created a really a soup to nuts so everything from helping the inve- the, the seller to providing an opportunity for people to invest um, with you to then sell it. Do you then also provide third-party lending to that 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 investor who wants to flip it at all? Uh, I don't really do any any brokerage of that stuff. Uh, there's people out there who do. I personally guarantee the loans. So, like, if if I have, I, I don't know what kind of money out there or how many loans we've done. You know, hundreds of loans over the years. Um, we've had two maybe three instances where we sold the property for like very close to what we ended up owing because of whatever we missed the market we had to put more construction in there um we've lost you know 1500 two grand three grand is probably the most we've lost uh you know in in a deal we put that money up it's not the investors who are gonna have to you know take that so you know that said i don't do underwriting and then you know bet on the next guy and the next investor i just kind of leave that nice and clean if sure. we're going to resell that to the other person like we're not lenders and we're not like hard money brokers at all so when my investors give me money they're comfortable confident and they know that they've given that money to me mm-hmm. not somebody else who then becomes like an unknown risk for right. them so it's more right. a, a risk management thing no i think that's and, that, and that's smart you, you raise up some good points because it comes back to credibility of the company the mission all that sort of stuff you get into the, as you just said a place where you're now relying upon a third party investor to go and perform and you know they've come through you you've you know you've sold them that that property and you've connected the dots with the loan i can see that being a uh, being a risk for you and 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 your business so, so it's very very interesting do you guys do all in-house construction or do you do you third party that out to uh, local gcs yeah it's all gcs so you know that's another risk but that's a risk that we personally at diamond equity investments are managing backstopping and guaranteeing so if contractors go bad you know the deal runs over it always happens yep. um you know we just put the bill for that find a new contractor swap them out fire them whatever needs to happen <laughs> awesome so mate with like what advice do you have for, for for newbie investors who want to get into the the space of wholesaling slash small little houses you know, like, cause you've, you've gone and broken into five different markets. So you'd have to have a bit of a recipe or a sort of a, a cheat sheet to, to how you get started. And, and what sort of advice can you give to those people who, who may be sitting on the fence and don't want to go to a, a large multifamily. They want to just start with a couple of smaller out of state, particularly guys here in California and international investors. They, they look at, you know, the Midwest and, and, and the Southern states as, you know, lower barriers to entry because, you know, compared to Australia, the, the barriers to entry here in the Midwest is shockingly low and still remain shockingly low so what advice do you have um when you're wanting to partner up find the right team all that sort of stuff well for people that are going to wholesale for me it's always my belief that you have to be physically in the market so there are virtual wholesalers who are out there you know doing everything by phone call and i'm sure that's possible that just hasn't been where we had our success we generally get really you know really decent deals and high close rates uh, on genuine leads, we're at like 50% close rate. You know, if they're obviously for sale by owner and the price is way off, uh, it's not that high. But uh, you got to pick an area, in my opinion, where there's like 5 million, 4 million. It's got to be more than, you know, a million people living in there. That's been my experience with being able to maintain volume. So I do better in Miami. I do better in Atlanta. I do better in Philadelphia. I do better in Chicago. 
than we do in Tampa. Tampa is a substantially smaller market um, for us overall. So that's one thing. Um, the second piece of advice, Reed, is that the, uh, the wholesaling is a great way to learn the market, figure out how to do comps, make money at the same time, get good at negotiating, figure out how to do titles. So it's really, it's a great entryway into the business. I mean, I had like no skill whatsoever in 2006 when I, you know, just came home uh, getting started and I was able to put some deals together. Looking back, kind of felt like miracles, had a little bit of luck and a lot of the market pushing me and, you know, they wouldn't have been deals two years later. And, uh, it took years before I really got a grasp on the market. And then another few years until I'm at a point where, you know, just in 2016 did I hit where I feel a level that I can quickly figure out what the values are, what the properties are going to sell for and how much the construction really is going to cost. So you figure that was 10 years of looking at comps, um, you know, evaluating deals, running rehabs, actually closing, buying and selling properties before I figured out and had a really good grasp on, you know, those kind of numbers. Um, that said, what I did in 2012, 2013, 2014 is I put my thoughts into kind of my business plan and I wrote a book, 164 pages. Um, I, I pretty much do that only by PDF. And it was like my way to pass on my own knowledge and approach to the people in the Philadelphia market who back in 2014 allowed me to move to Chicago so that I could be a dad for my daughter. So that was like part of how I made that happen was writing this business plan or this book, if you will, to duplicate my mindset and my knowledge and pass that on, give at least a basic understanding as to how the deals are done. And I give that out when people check out my podcast site and everything. And I have had people read who got the book, read the book, listened to the podcast. The podcast is not wholesaling only. It's, you know, it's a uh, value add for a variety for my buyers, for lenders to listen to topics, for rehabbers, for landlords, you know, for multifamily. So we cover a, breath, a wide breadth of topics on there. But uh, these people who I'm talking about now, uh, one in particular was Austin Stack, who came through the podcast. He came through, uh, read that book, and then he came through the networking event I'll hold occasionally here in Chicago, where I kind of open a door and let people, you know, give a place for people to watch from the back of the room, see if they want to do business with me. And he, uh, he came forward and introduced himself and he had no clue what was going on. He's trying to sell me listed properties that were already on the MLS. And, you know, it's just like, it just wasn't working. But three or four months later, this, this kid, Austin, he was like 22, at the time, 23 at the time, he's sending me he sends me his buyers list. He moves to Atlanta. He's like, sends his whole buyers list from Chicago here. I'm not doing anything. Maybe you could do something like, I don't even want anything. I just want to add value. And he's making introductions to people who call him from Chicago, not looking for anything, didn't have his hand out. Um, and I'm not encouraging people to go out and give everything away of value and just pass off the deals. But here was Austin, you know, he wasn't really looking for anything. He was putting wood in the fire with no expectation of anything other than the universe to deliver some good in another way. And I noticed this read and I, I'm like, when are you coming back to Chicago? And he's like, I'm coming, you know, next week. I right, like, we're having lunch. We have lunch. He brings his dad to like, you know, make an intro. His dad's a contractor and like, he had no idea, but I wanted to be in the Atlanta market and Austin Stacks now the VP of the Atlanta market. And I think he did like, I forget how much it was like a million like a million one hundred thousand dollars in gross profits in like 14 months it was like wow. a remarkable amount of money that he generated uh for the company in very very short period of time especially since we 
started in Atlanta from a standstill. There was no lead flow. There was no momentum. There was no contacts there. It was just uh, Austin who, who went and built that with me there. So, Well, you, you bring up some incredible points because that in itself, what you just described is such a great way. And when we break into markets, you know, we fly out there, you know, me and my business partner, but you've had a, it's essentially your business partner who you trusted through a gesture that he did for you. So you said, okay, it's more credibility to your eyes saying, hey, he's giving me this list. He's brought his dad along to, to the meeting. But then that means that you can trust him and you've got boots on the ground then in that new market, right? And that's a way to start breaking in. And it goes back to your point before. You said you want to be physically in that market. Well, you're not physically in that market, but your team is physically in that market and people that you trust. And that takes, and I, I just want to ask like, that would have taken a little bit of time, as you said, you're from a standstill in Atlanta to get the momentum going. How long did that take you? And did you systemize that over a period of time when you went to Tampa and, and, and further on to other markets after that? Not necessarily. And going into new markets is not the best solution. Like right. if I had it to do over again, Atlanta, I wanted to be there. There was growth happening. I had another friend who I thought was going to be like the, the guy Austin ended up being. Right. And that was why I had my eye on it. Um, on Atlanta to begin with, but what mistake that I made, Reed, uh, and I don't know that this is going to carry over into other segments of real estate, but certainly with residential real estate, like I made some comment about these larger geographic areas providing more deal flow, and I took that to the extreme, and I opened all these other markets. Um, so once Tampa, Chicago, and Philadelphia were open, I did go into Atlanta, but it was more at that time because... Austin seemed to be the right person. And then Miami was a very similar situation where it was a, a referral. Um, but I, I would not personally go into any other markets at this point. I did try to go into a few others. We attempted Colorado. We attempted the Maryland, Baltimore, D.C. area. And the people were not the right people. And the job didn't get done. And, you know, it turned out to be a financial loss for me. Um, and then during that same period of time, the last year and a half, two years, like I've discovered that I can put more effort into developing better leads, uh, systems, follow up, just gen in general, putting more attention into the markets that I'm in currently. And, you know, if you, if you look on the board behind me here is the Chicago market. There's just a, a, an outrageous number of deals there compared to how it was a year or two years ago as a result of the attention that I really, you know, focused in the market. So I guess the lesson is before running around the country and trying to do business, sending letters in, you know, 10, 12, 15 markets, even two markets, make sure that you've gotten all the gold out of the vein that exists in your backyard. Uh, kind of like the acres of diamonds story. Um, before you go off to, you know, the far distant lands, that's, that's, you know, I know it's probably people are saying, Oh yeah, he just doesn't want to, you know, competition in the cities he's in, but it's, uh, it's just been, better to go deeper and figure out more. And now at this point, Reed, I have a long list of things I need to do in these markets. That's just not enough time to get done before I'd ever consider going anywhere else. It's, it's that sort of being spread too thin. But I reckon you would have, mm -hmm. if you sat down for an hour or two and, rec and recorded yourself, I think you could pretty systemize you know, the steps. Okay, Austin's in Atlanta. What's the next step for that to make sure we're getting lead flow? What's the next step for that to make sure we're partnering with the right contractors? What's the next step from that to make that system around your business grow in other markets? Because that's something that like, you know, international investors and people in California and New York, they want to be able to do it. And, and I guess it's understanding, you know, teasing out that sort of uh, the, the systems in itself. But but I think you've got, you, you, you probably do have it. You just, it's cracking that, that, that the mind open and, and getting it on paper to hopefully share with someone someday. Well, 
the thing is, is, is I wrote the book. Oh, so right, that's the right, right. It's it's free. You can go get that at reidiamonds.com. Anyone's welcome to go check it out. Um, I gave that to Austin, had him read through that. But then in each particular market, there's going to be like a huge subset of details and complexities sure. that you have to learn. And, and the biggest challenge is learning, you know, the market itself. Like, where are the hot areas? What's the best price point? You know, what's the point breeze in, in Philadelphia of Atlanta? Right. It happens to be the Beltline area. It took me a trip, you know, and six months to eight months before we discovered that this place existed. So learning the particular market and the hotspot, I, like even in Miami, I, I have an idea of where some of the hotspots are, but we really haven't found that like red hot bed of activity for us where we can win. So as wholesalers, the niche is going to be a little different than fix and flip investors. It's going to be a little different than multifamily investors. So um, systematizing the ability to learn the market data is where it's been a challenge for me. It hasn't been something that I've been able to pass off. I still personally look at almost every single lead that comes in through our system, read the notes, check on it, uh, where it's warranted, I'm checking on comps. I, I used to make every buy decision, but the vice presidents have started making some some of the buy decisions. Um, in a lot of the sell decisions, I'm the one that catches a, you know, a, a deal that's underpriced or you know we start getting offers and, and I sense that there's gonna be a big opportunity and we've had 25, $35,000 assignments, which anybody listening to, Oh yeah, that's a great day. I told the guy, no, it's not going to get it done. We have higher offers and we ended up selling that property for a $105,000 assignment, wow. the one that I'm referring to. So that being able to systematize the sensitivity and awareness to those specific situations, it's only going to come with the 13 years of experience sure. I have in the business. And I did this kind of intentionally set up so that I'd have access to look at and analyze and be in the middle of all these negotiations to kind of supercharge like my awareness and my experience so that I'm learning something that happens on a deal in Atlanta and in real time being able to apply that so that the guys in the Chicago market who are in the living room are benefiting from that the following day from the lesson in the other market. So right. it does work well in that sense, but I think, uh, you know, it's difficult to to try to systematize yeah, how no, that I can, other than spend 10 years. Yeah, no, I, and, and it does, and that's right. Experience just does, it comes with time. And I think I just wrote down before is just sort of like getting the grasp of the market, um, partnering with the right people in the local market, understanding the cost of construction. That just does take time. And you said it took you six months and multiple trips. And that's exactly what we're doing in all our different markets we're breaking into. We know what we need to do. We know we like particularly multifamily commercial real estate. The brokers have the, the, the keys to the kingdom right now. It's like we need to get on the golf course mm -hmm. with the right brokers in the right markets because I'm not a big golfer, but my partner is and he flies out then that's what he does, right? And it's it takes it takes six to twelve months to really get your foothold. You know, you underwrite a few deals, you give feedback, you sort of all this sort of stuff, and eventually it just takes time. It's not gonna happen overnight. But um hopefully people can come and partner with people like yourself that can you know maybe fast track a little bit mate mm -hmm. i want to um i want to wrap up the show here and i want to be conscious of your time but before i get into the top five investing tips what's been the biggest challenge when you grow with the growth of your company you know coming from nothing you know has the biggest challenge been that systemizing of understanding that the nuances of getting deals done and the construction and the costs and all that sort of stuff in your mind what has been the biggest challenge when you've grown from yourself to I'm assuming you have a couple of employees now and, and, and trying to be across different markets and not let anything fall through the crack. I guess the biggest challenge for me at this point is just uh, 
managing the marketing budget, mm -hmm. I think that our consistency comes in, you know, 25, even 30 or 35, and it's been as much as 50% of the revenue coming in off of deals. So, so picture you're flipping houses and sure. you're spending 50% of that money on marketing. To get uh, that one house, right? Yeah, to get the next house. Well, so, you next know, right, it's, right. it's been, you know, there's years that I look back at my tax returns and it was like <laughs> 75% of my income went out the door. I got audited by the IRS for like, wait a minute, you're not doing this much. 75% of this, uh, you know, the gross revenue went out in advertising, like no way. But uh, that's, that's what it took to figure out how to do that right to keep the leads flowing in. And so for me, it's, it's a constant management. It's kind of like, you know, I'm like surfing on the edge of the wave there. And I could just, the, the thing could dive and fall apart any minute. And like, there's a lot of moving pieces. And like, not only is it the marketing and the leads are coming in through Podio or CRM and they've got to be managed correctly. And there's people that have to do certain things at every time. But what's taking place in the living room and like maintaining the same level of attention with, you know, I, I don't really have employees. We do partner. It's like a partnership, partnership. on every yep. one of these deals where there's like portions paid out to each person who worked on the deal. Uh, being available for them. That's why I really don't give the cell phone out. People can contact me through my podcast site, but I don't have a lot of time to give, you know, to endless phone calls to people for like advice because I have 18, 20 people in living rooms around the country that I'm on call for almost not 24 seven, but certainly from nine in the morning to nine at night, there's potential we're going to do a deal. And if I'm not available, that call where, you know, the $30,000 assignment turned into a hundred and five, a hundred and five hundred and ten thousand dollars assignment. If I wasn't available for that call, we would have missed out on $70,000 and, and our average assignment or our average profit rather is, is somewhere in the 10 to $15,000 range. So that was like, six extra deals by being available. So the challenge is just maintaining control and attention for all those markets. Like as I grow, I'm, I'm a bit of a bottleneck and the VPs do handle some of that, but making sure that we're constantly improving everybody on a team's ability to execute every one of those details at every step along the way to getting the deal done. That's, that's, that's awesome. And it's a good reflection, I think, on, on where you know those bottlenecks are. Like in any business, when you, with, with, with rapid growth, you have to identify what the pain points are and how to manage it. And I think as, a, as any entrepreneurs sitting out there listening to this show, we all, you may not know it until you get to a certain level of, of growth, but the, when you, you always have to maybe have systems in place or, or a check-in with, with a mentor or someone or, or a partner, making sure you're identifying those pain points that essentially like your marketing budget could be as, as large as it is to get that next deal. So how do you make sure you're managing that in, in, in the way in which you communicate to your, your people around you in order to maximize the profit? And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a, probably a thing that you've got to constantly grapple with as you continue to grow, but it's a thing that you want to try and manage. You know, there's no, there's no silver bullet for it, but you, you, you know, we're all just trying to figure it out right as we, as we grow. So, uh, so well done, mate. I do want to, I do want to be conscious of your time. It is a Saturday. So we're ready to get into the top five investing tips. All right, let's do it, Reed. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? On a daily basis, I eat right. I also make sure to exercise almost on a daily, at least four to five times a week. Nice. What do you What do you do? You runner? You gym guy? You You do What What do you do? Yeah, I do. Uh, I do some cardio, high intensity interval training, but mostly weightlifting tra with a trainer, uh, two to three times a week nice. consistently. I've got my bench up to a three fifteen wow. max, and I got the 
the squat up to a I could do 365 10 times. So Jeez. for me, that was huge. That's <laughs> massive, man. That is huge. Uh, I'm a tall guy. I've got lower back issues, but I love squatting. But it's uh, it can after after doing it for many years, it's uh, it can cause issues with uh, you know your your, your your sciatica muscles and all that sort of stuff. We won't get into that for another show. But awesome stuff, man. Uh, who's the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, the influential person in my career. I would have to say that God's had the most influence. I feel like I wake up every day and this is another gift from God. And if I don't hustle, if I don't grind, if I, you know, don't eat right, if I don't maximize every moment of this day, I'm throwing that gift back in his face. Right. Nice. Nice, man. What's the most influential tool in your business? Now, it can be software related or it could be hardware, you know, like a tool that helps you make sure that the, the lights stay on and, and the team's moving forward. Um, there's a lot of technology tools, email, Podio, the CRM. If you're not using things of that nature, that's great. Uh, I'll go back to the Andrew Carnegie time management system. So I have a black book here. Yep. And every week, uh, first, you know, the first, uh, one page is my weekly goals, things that if I can get them done, I'll be happy. I have yearly goals there. I may have a list of marketing assets that I'm working on creating. Uh, and then, uh, each day, you know, before the next day starts, I'll just start a to do list. I try not to let that go over, you know, eight items on there. Cause mm -hmm. that's just too many. Uh, if I could pick one or two items that are going to have the most impact on my life, I will do just that. Uh, but if it, if it shows up in that book, the probability of it getting done probably jumps up to 80 or 90%. And if I just say, yeah, I'm going to do X, Y, Z tomorrow, it's a probability of about 10% that it'll actually be done. No, and it's, it, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. Like there's all these different, um, tr uh, Trilio, 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 whatever it's called, Trilio, um, all these all apps that you can do right on your to-do list. I'm, I'm a, also a guy who has a book that I write down my, you know, my, my to-do list at the end, every Sunday night, what I'm doing for the week and then do like the daily, the daily to-do list and it gets it out of my head and onto paper. So I'm not trying to think about, oh, I'm supposed to do something today. What was it? You know, you're relying on your brain. You, well, if you've got it written down in a book, you can, and the, the, the thing I love about writing stuff down is when you, that, that little victory, when you cross it out, right? And you get to the next mm -hmm. one, you get to the next one. At the end of the week, you're like, wow, this, this page is full. And I've, there's a lot of lines through a lot of things. You can look back and say, that's a little win, right? And I'm moving, I'm moving the needle forward to, to the next step. So uh, awesome stuff. Mate, what's been the biggest failure in your career to date? And what did you learn from that failure? Um... Uh, for me, it's been a lack of discipline. So it was back then in 2000, I forget when it was, 8, 2009, when, you know, I started back into those negative habits again, mm -hmm. uh, when I decided it was okay to have one drink. So, you know, these days, it's not okay for me to, you know, drink at all. I don't hang out at bars. I don't, you know, obviously, some of that probably comes with age. But, uh, you know, I, I noticed that the people I grew up with who do those kind of things, even if it's just on a uh, you know, a, a recreational type thing. Uh, for me, it just doesn't work. So that that failure has taught me to really watch the impact of such a small minor decision that could open up a Pandora's box of negative or on the flip side, positive things. So there's sure. a lot of these small little details that I watch in a positive way, the eating right, the gym, you know, the, the incremental gains 
uh, that I've then put into my business that really, you know, supercharged my results and really took me to the next level. That's awesome. I think that's great. You've identified it and you know what your vice is and you can, you can, you know, knock it on the head if it ever comes, it ever comes knocking. Mate, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to find out more about you, your podcast, your book. They want to download it. Where do they go? You want to download the book? Uh, you want to contact me? There's a, a forum on the page as well. Uh, you can also check out all the podcast episodes we have. I know if you're interested in investing in the United States, there's a really cool episode I did, which was a presentation on gentrification, mm-hmm. uh, property values that double in a you know five to seven year period, how to identify some of those. You could Google Dan Breslin gentrification, uh, but to get access to the podcast and the book, become a wholesale real estate master, uh, go to my website at REI Diamonds dot com real estate investment jewels of wisdom <laughs> awesome stuff man well i want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to jump on this show i just want to quickly summarize some of the things that i took away from today's conversation i think the big one is that man you've got an incredible story and and knowing that you you, you went from from a jail cell the bottom of a bottle to t- turning a life around identifying what the vices are that that can trigger those negative impacts and relapsing that's really important and, and but also having the willpower to get over that and not do the do the poor me thing you know poor me i could i could have been negative at the world and you went out and took the the world by the balls and you and you couldn't get employed and so you went and created your own employment that's that's to me that's really uh, an incredible thing and from a mindset point of view I'm sure we could do a whole episode just on that. But but from, from a real estate investing point of view, I love that you've you've grown your business, you've scaled up, you've gone to different markets, and but you still have the the, the issues we all have. And, and that is understanding that you've got to be really, really, you know, uh, knowledgeable of your local market. It takes time, it doesn't happen overnight. And you know, your example of taking six months to really get familiar six or seven times flying out to Atlanta boots on the ground, establishing a team before you even pulled the trigger on a property. I think that in it speaks volumes to just how difficult it can be. Um, but but not but not also that it's difficult, but you can get around it. It just takes time and time is, you know, it's going to help everything. Um, and, and the last thing I think uh, I really want to take away is that, you know, the writing down of the thing, I'm, uh, the writing down of your to-do list and your, your goals and all that sort of stuff in a book. And I, I think you've you've systemized it and, and it's fantastic and that's helped you scale your business and grow grow more. And uh, man, I just wish you all the best uh, in, in the future. And, and uh, I, I, did I leave anything out? <laughs> no, I think it is, Reed. I mean, you know, the one last thought I'll say on the writing down of things, your brain takes... I don't know how many more neuronal connections to write something with your fingers than to type it on an iPhone, iPad, or a computer. So the writing, the physical actual writing is going to lock into your brain this thing that needs to be done. And I found that that additional layer of connection mm-hmm. with my brain really seem to make these things happen uh, more often. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's awesome. Yeah, I I've, I've, haven't thought of as deep as that, but you're right. The, the physical writing of the word... And it's rather than typing it, but awesome, man. Well, as I said, I want to thank you for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed with some actionable advice for investing tips here in the United States. If you do like this show, please go to my website at regoosens.com. All the links to Dan's website will be up there when this show goes live. Uh, I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about on this show. Now, mate, and we're going to do this all again next week. So take care. Be safe. And remember... Happy investing.